I mentioned it earlier um, during the call to worship. It's just good to be with the church. Um, this has been a tough week for us. But it's been one of those weeks where I've just been so proud of you. Um, last week when we got word, I saw all kinds of different people shed tears from eight-year-olds to older, and I saw people mobilize and care and provide care and be there for each other. And as much as we seek to be a family together and to love each other and care for each other, what that does mean is that we will weep together. We're going we're gonna to share this grief. And that is such a blessing to be able to do. Um, you know, like it was a blessing. Uh, I wasn't going to say all this. But like to, uh, yesterday after service, after I, I got word to, to sit at the sound booth and just shed tears with Justin. Um, it was a blessing to go to the house and see Christine there, who had been there the entire day, Christino, ministering to the family, serving, making food, watching kids, you know, just, just lifting burdens. I was so thankful to the Lord. I don't even know if I'm allowed to say this. Really sorry. I'm so thankful to the Lord in his providence. The hospice care nurse assigned was a member of this church. And so I just watched the body of Christ do what God called it to do. So proud. Because it's one thing to say it, it's one thing to preach it, it's one thing to say, this, to have this kind of, you know, aspirational value, this is what we want to be, and it's another thing to see it work. And so, I'm just so grateful uh, to the Lord. I want to read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 for us this morning, and, and the reason I want to do that is because um, when we encounter something really, really, really hard... Um, it's natural that it would cause us to ask a lot of questions, especially the why question. And I, and I want us to understand that that's such an appropriate question. It's a question that the Psalms ask over and over and over again. And 1 Thessalonians is a letter that the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica. You'll remember because we did a whole sermon series on 1 Thessalonians last year. And as a part of this letter, we assume that this church had sent some questions to Paul. And one of those questions that we assume they sent was, hey, what, what happens to our loved ones who have died? And, and why? And what is this all about? We assume because Paul devotes so much time in chapter 4 to answering that question. I want to read 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, verses 13 to the end of the chapter. 
Paul says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living, when the Lord returns, will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will raise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Now, there's so much theology we could dive into from this passage, but there's really two words that I want to focus on uh, just for a few moments this morning, and those are the words grief and hope. Paul says that we do not grieve as those without hope. Therefore, acknowledging that, yes, we do grieve. We do grieve. But we grieve with hope. The hope that the Lord Jesus Christ himself has defeated death through his resurrection. The hope that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. The hope that we are going to spend eternity with him. And those of us in Christ who die before he returns will be in eternity with the Lord too. We have that hope. But it's interesting, grief and hope, because I think for many of us, and I'm one of them, I think we see grief and hope as competing values. Almost like grief is an expression or a manifestation that demonstrates a lack of hope. And that having hope and having faith and having certainty would mean the absence of grief. Almost like that they snuff each other out. Right? That my grief snuffs out hope and that hope will snuff out grief. I have an interesting journey with grief. Uh, last December, my wife and I experienced a miscarriage. And... I don't really understand how I grieve. I'm one of those that goes into let's get things done mode. Let's figure it out. Let's make sure other people are okay. And several weeks, I think maybe month, I think, uh, I, don't, I can't even remember, maybe it was even up to six weeks later, I was here at Grace Hill, and we were worshiping together, and um, it was the last song before I was supposed to preach, and we are singing the song Living Hope, which, by the way, I believe we're going to 
end our service with today. And it hit me. I did not see it coming. I didn't know what it was. But I just felt all of this stuff going on in my body, and I kind of escaped to backstage, and I wept. Uh, and and I'm, I'm hearing the greeting going on, and I'm supposed to be getting this thing taped to my face, and I don't know what came over me. It just hit me. The grief just hit me because I have this interesting relationship with grief where there's something inside of me that, that believes that grief would mean that I don't believe. That grief means that I don't trust this. There's something in me that says that. But So I, I, I hold it off as hard as I can. And what I love about our passage this morning is that our passage helps us to understand that grief does not mean the absence of hope. Grief does not mean disbelief. John chapter 11 has always been one of those passages that confused me. Jesus arrives to Mary and Martha's house after Lazarus has died. And we're reading the narrative. So the, the narrator tells us that Jesus intentionally arrives after Lazarus dies so that he can give glory to God by demonstrating his power over death, that he is the resurrection and the life. So we know Jesus' intention is to raise Lazarus from the dead. But Jesus arrives, and he sees Mary and Martha, and the text says he sees them weep, and it says, so Jesus wept. And it always confused me. Jeez, what? That's illogical. Why are you grieving? Why are you weeping? You're about to, in a matter of minutes, demonstrate the power that you have over death and, and raise him from the dead. Why would you be weeping right now? You're about to have a glorious moment. It's just not how grief works. Because grief recognizes what is true. That death is not okay. And our bodies know that. That it's not what ought to be. And so, grief doesn't snuff out hope. I actually think Grief brings us to a point where all we have is our hope. Jesus in the Beatitudes says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Grief has a way of bringing us all the way to a point where I have no other answers, I have no logic, I have no knowledge that helps me get through this, 
that helps me answer the questions, that helps me sort this out. All I have is this hope. And there's something that builds our faith when we have to lean on hope, when we have to lean on someone else, when we're to the end of ourselves. It's like a child who cries out for their mommy and daddy, and they, they have no answers. They're just crying out. They have no way of helping themselves other than to cry out. And when their mommy and daddy comes, there is this faith and attachment and love that is built in that little moment when you're at the very end of yourself and you just have to lean on your hope. So what I want us to do is just want us to take a few moments to reflect and we're, we're gonna come back to our passage and think about this hope that we have in just a few moments. But there's something about grief that kind of primes us, that gets us ready to fully lean on our hope. And so this morning, I just wanna encourage you, let's just, I want us to take a few moments of silence and I encourage you to breathe And I encourage you to grieve. And maybe this morning you have grief that's attached to something else that has gone on. It's okay. Maybe there are things inside of you, just like that were inside of me, that you just haven't let yourself fully feel yet. I want to encourage you this morning. Grief is not a statement of unbelief. Grief is not a statement of lack of trust. Grief is not a statement of having no hope. Grief is just saying, all I have is this hope. Sit in a few moments of silence before we reflect on our hope.
You may be seated. Hallelujah, I heard. Amen. Hallelujah. Hope. What is hope? What do we just sing? What do we just praise the Lord by even just professing and confessing? Hallelujah. What, what is hope? Uh, I'll share that. That may be obvious to some. And for others, that might be a bit of a confusing question. But as Christians, we are set within a conflict You and I gathered here this morning in the midst of a spiritual war. This week brought home the reality of that spiritual war. That's a hard amen, isn't it? But we are at war. And I would argue, I think that war is waged primarily around those four letters, hope. I believe that the scriptures speak very, very clearly of who this enemy is and why this war is being waged and that the waged war is for our hope. But what is it? What is yours? What is mine? What is Yegor's? Alan read in 1 Thessalonians or 2 Thessalonians. I'm just going to read it. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. I think we're a lot like the Thessalonian church, really begging God right now. Oh, God, where is our What is our hope? See, I believe that Satan and the principalities of powers of darkness are at war saying hope is somewhere else. Hope is in the health that you might have in your physical bodies. Hope is found somewhere external to yourself. And in one sense, I would say there is truth to that. This is the war that we find ourselves in this morning. I want to turn, you don't need to do this, but if you want to, turn to Romans chapter 5. And I'm going to read verse 5. And in the midst of this war that we are in, I think Paul gives us exactly what hope is. Tells us exactly in the midst of this brutal war that we are in and grieving in this morning, I think he tells us exactly, here's what your hope is, church. Verse 5 of chapter 5 of Romans says this, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. There's a key word in verse 5 that I think explains very clearly and succinctly what the biblical view of hope is. What is hope? 
The question is, who is hope? And Paul tells us, hope is not a feeling. Hope is not a thing. That hope has a name. And it's the risen Son of God, Jesus Christ. And he has been given to you and to me, church. Hope is a person. That's why we sing hallelujah at the end of a song. (laughs) Not because we've manufactured a feeling that helps us to feel better in the midst of our loss. Myself, Yegor, any one of us in this room, we don't need a propositional truth. We need a person who defeated sin and death. And the Bible tells you and me that Jesus Christ is the victorious one who stands over the grave and says, therefore, our hope will not be put to shame. Our hope will not be put to shame, though we grieve and we cry. Our hope lives and stands victorious. So the war that you and I are in, that the entire humanity is in today and yesterday and the days that come until Jesus comes home is going to constantly be pushed back to that single question, who or what is your hope? And sin and Satan will constantly seek to pervert that and move us away from finding our hope in the midst of grief. How could you possibly hope in the midst of grief? Because Jesus stands over the grave and he will one day make all of our tears what go away and all things will be made new. One day, and it's not a propositional thought or truth, it's the reality that on Good Friday, Jesus went into the grave, and then on Resurrection Sunday, blood coursed through his veins, and breath came into his lungs, and he stood up. You and I, in our tears, would be comforted. And then as the church, and this is my last point this morning, that if hope is a person, That you and I as the church, the entire scriptures point to what God intends his church to be is a beacon of hope, a harbor of hope, a people of hope that come for each other over and over and over again to do what? To administer the person of Jesus Christ to one another in all things. Friends, Jesus in the scriptures said, I did not leave you. I've given you my Holy Spirit that indwells within us, which is Romans 5. The hope is in you and me as image bearers of Christ. We have hope in us. God himself dwells in us. We are his temples upon which he dwells in. And what do we get to do as God's people? It says in the sermon on Hebrews, he says, don't neglect to gather is the habit of some. Why? Because there is a brutal war out there for your soul aiming for our hope. So gather. And do what? Encourage each other daily as you see the day drawing near where one day our faith, like our sister Nadia's, faith will be sight because there will be a person standing there welcoming us saying, well done, good and faithful servant. 
That is the hope of the church, friends. That is what we come together every single Sunday to do. It's not to play church, but it's to be the church. And here's the gut-ripping, wrenching reality, is that we are in a war. There is no sugarcoating it. We look this morning and see the evidence of that war. But death does not, as Corinthians says. Oh, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Hope. Hope has come. But we must lean into that and help bear our burdens together as we run this race together. God did not leave us God did not give us suggestions. He knew exactly what we needed and he himself brought salvation to us in the form of his son. And his son said, as I ascend into heaven, I will not leave you alone, but I will give you my Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit empowers the first church that then goes on and multiplies across the entire world. And to this very day, we are now recipients of that grace that we minister to one another as we see one another facing and heading towards death. That is the final precipice for all of humanity. And we, church, we have hope. We don't have a feeling. We have a person. Know and cast, as Peter says, to cast all our anxiety into him because the person of hope, he cares for you and for me. What a gift we have in one another to be ministers of hope towards one another, pointing to Jesus Christ himself. Church, you do that so well. Let me just give it a little bit of time for us to reflect. We have the ministers on the sides again, and I, I encourage you. If that hope is not good news to you this morning, that's okay. But I, 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 I plead with you this morning. Would you go and give yourself to someone and say, would you just pray for me? I'm struggling to believe that Jesus is good. I beg you this morning that God is saying he has not left you without hope, but would you go and ask? He will give. He is a good and generous giver. So go, whatever you have, whatever you're struggling with to believe that that hope of Jesus is not meeting you in this moment, would you go and be ministered to? God is waiting to minister to you through his church this morning. And for those else who might just be encouraged by that, would you just take time and pray through, God, what does it look like for me to live in light of Jesus being my hope? I don't have to have a feeling for that. I can feel miserable and still have hope because Jesus is alive. What, what does that look like for you to rejoice in that fact this morning? Just take some time and pray and ask God to renew that in you. I have to ask that. This whole week has been that question for myself. So I just confess that to you. I've been, God, God, renew that in me that I would believe. And then I come and I'm with the church and I'm encouraged of being reminded I'm not alone. And so I pray that as you do that, you just look around the room this morning and go, I'm not alone. So it takes just a few moments.
and pray, and then we'll come back up and we'll take the Lord's Supper.